This is our Pacific Northwest music. We're going to be talking to local musicians and bands, talking about their passions and why they play such awesome music. Why would I ever want to miss this? Find us on Instagram or Facebook, Our PNW Music, or our website, ourpnwmusic.com. Skagit Valley, you don't want to miss this. Okay, I want to introduce Bradford Loomis to the show. Thanks for coming on, Our PNW Music and KMRE Radio. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Right on. Well, hey, I just kind of want to, every time I have somebody on that I sort of kind of know, I like to kind of preface that. Just uh, I, I've met you a few times over at the, the Cantrell uh, Ranch, I guess it is. And, uh, man, you put on a cool show there, a little private show. And, uh, anyway, I just kind of want to let the listeners know that uh, I met you a few times and stuff. So, um, yeah, man, uh, can you kind of uh, let the uh, local Washington listeners here that might be listening in, uh, how would people maybe know you? Oh, man. Uh, so I'm born and raised in uh, Marysville, Washington, and um, kind of cut my teeth playing in the Pacific Northwest uh, before moving to Nashville uh, to pursue music. And, you know, it gets to be, gets to a point when you're touring and, and playing all over the country that being tucked away in the Pacific Northwest becomes a, a bit of a hurdle for getting to the rest of the United States. So we uh, we moved to a more centralized location, you know, and, and what better place can you be for pursuing music than Music City, Tennessee? Right on. Well, hey, uh, before we get going a little too far, we, I definitely want to dive into some of that story and stuff. Um, you know, I want to talk about, uh, I'd like to get a song in, um, and I want to talk about your song, The Break. Uh, maybe you can kind of talk about it a little bit right before I play it. Yeah. Well, The Break is one of those songs... Um, it almost feels a little prescient at this point. Like, um, you know, it's, I had no idea when I wrote it that the pandemic was coming, but mm. I, I, I've seen so many people around me and struggled with it myself, um, individually, just, just the, the feeling of being overwhelmed and hitting roadblocks and, you know, the, the challenges of life that, uh, kind of push you to question, the course you're on in your life and would it be easier to give up? And, and uh, you know, from a, from a musical perspective as an independent artist, it's a bit of an uphill, uphill battle. You know, it's, it's an uphill battle when you have a team, when you have a record label, when you got a management team and booking agents and all that, it's, it's still no given that you'll, you know, ever achieve commercial success. But when you're an independent you know, we live in an industry and a, and a time frame now where it's better in some ways than ever before because we can define what success looks like for us. And so um, I definitely appreciate that aspect of being an independent artist, but you rub up against the, the contradictions of wanting to pursue your ambitions and your dreams that are so meaningful to you while being... Uh, confronted with the daily <laughs> grind of of all the things, all the reasons why you should just give up and quit. And um, the break is kind of a from an artist's perspective, like you know, if I if I just had that one thing, if I just had that one moment, that one break, um, how would my life change? And and uh, should I keep going and keep pursuing? And so it feels like more poignant than ever before. 
given that we've just gone through a year of of pandemic and lockdowns and restrictions and you know it's people are struggling with do we give up so um it just felt like it feels more than ever like an impactful song for our time so Everyone's got their vices Lord knows I've got mine For some it's the bottle For others it's cheesy in their dreams Oh, I made sacrifices I heard truth in the lies My foot on the throttle Trying to outrun my But still, I can't let go me closer to the moment where I find my way. I know the reasons why I shouldn't even try, but still, oh, I can't let go.
We're back. That was The Break by Bradford Loomis. And uh, can you mention uh, who was on that song with you? Yeah, there's a, a local gal from Tacoma, Washington. Uh, her name is Stephanie Ann Johnson. She was on The Voice uh, a couple of years ago and is just an incredible person and um, an amazing singer and performer in her own right and a dear friend. And so we we've helped each other on different things and, and playing with each other. And she's such a joy to perform with. And so when it came down to um, putting that song down on the record, I knew I wanted to have Stephanie um, lend her magic to it. And, uh, and man, she blew it up. It was pretty awesome. Uh, that's great. And we should mention too, that's uh, where the light ends and uh, is the name of the record. Um, I'd like to kind of ask you, uh, one of the things that just pulls a listener in to somebody like you is you got a real big, uh, a package, you have like kind of a full, full deal going on. And, uh, I mean, the fact that you, you're, you're, you play the guitar very well, but you also just your singing range and everything. Um, can you kind of walk through uh, to the listeners, like where that came from? Yeah, uh, that's a. I mean, over time, you know, over time, it, it it changes, right? Yeah, totally. And it's definitely reflective of work. I mean, you you've got to put work in pursuing any kind of craft you want to get better at. Um, I I think I was just kind of the right mix of maybe a little bit of talent, but like this ADHD brain to where I would, as a kid, always try to duplicate sounds. And so I, whether it was a car honking, I would just try to copy that sound or, or you know, my mom's favorite records that I would listen to. Um, and so when I, when I started, when, um, when I discovered grunge music growing up in, in the greater Seattle area, um, mm. I was blown away and immediately wanted to try to emulate some of the sounds that I was hearing for Pearl Jam and, and Stone Temple Pilots, and um, and Alice in Chains was my favorite. Um, and so I I just tried to sing like the like the singers that I loved. And um, once I discovered choral music, I got into choir in ninth grade. I fell in love with it, and I'm naturally a baritone. But if you if you do any kind of singing and you know anything about that the baritone's always the most boring parts. They're the middle of the chord. 
And so, uh, you know, being a typical teenager kid, I wanted a little bit more of the, of the glory and the limelight. So I would, I can sing bass. So I would try to sing bass where I, where it was needed for the choir or tenor, because that's where the melodies are. And, um, and so one of our choirs, I would sing first tenor, which is the highest tenor. Um, and that I would really push my voice to try to reach those, those notes. And, and I, was gifted enough, I guess, with being able to do that. And so that, that covered some bases that we had a weakness in and, and it helped, um, broaden my range. And so I, you know, you work at it. The vocal cords are a little bit like, uh, weightlifting in the sense that the, or weight training, I should say, the more you train with it, the, the, the better you get at it, the better range you have and the, the more you can lift, so to speak. Hmm. Oh, that's that's beautiful, man. Yeah, and it it definitely shows. I tell you. So, uh, was there one person then that helped you with that? Do you think, or was it your own uh, kind of drive that that really got that going? Oh man, uh, you definitely have to have the drive. You definitely have to have the the desire to work at it. And um, I was fortunate to get attention from it. And as, you know, as a teenager and I found value in that and worth. And, uh, and so that was rewarding in and of itself. And that came from a lot of people, really. Um, my friends, families, um, or my friends and family, but also my choral teacher in high school and, um, and my choral teachers, I had two. And um, I've had a, a vocal trainer that kind of keeps, um, that I keep in touch with and she's helped me a couple times when, you know, because it's weird. It's, it's very weird, but having good vocals, like the best singers all have vocal trainers. It's, it's just something that it's weird how you can forget how to breathe. It's something we rely on, hmm. but subtle changes in the way you breathe affect how your performance is. And so every once in a while, I check back in with my vocal trainer and just kind of go over those same exercises again. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. I've been closing off certain places and not giving enough breath support. And it's funny how that stuff works, but um, yeah. So she's been really helpful as well. So um, having some fundamental people in your life that can kind of push you to pursue excellence, but then, you know, another group of people that can encourage you and like give you uh, the feedback and, and the um, the motivation to keep going is is uh, really helpful. Yeah, and that's good too. I think for the listeners too. I mean, man, because a lot of times people forget how you know, even you know, they think, oh, that person's a good singer. Uh, you know, they think, oh, well, the guitars and the drums and whatnot. You know, you're thinking, oh man, the amount of work that went into that. And I think people forget that with vocalists. And so I appreciate you uh, diving into that because that that's important. Um, I'd like to move on uh, to another tune, if you don't mind talking about the song Rambling Man. Yeah. Uh, Rambling Man is the, the lead track, the first single off the newest record, Where the Light Ends. And it's been um, quite a journey for me. Uh, born and raised in a small town. I lived all my life, except for the last four years, in Washington State. and um, being able to hit the road and to see people where they live, you know, um, Mark Twain had a quote, I'm going to butcher it right now, but it, <laughs> it basically, 
boils down to travel is the mortal enemy of ignorance. And I, and I think that there is some wisdom in that, in the wow. sense that like, if you're not exposed to a lot of ideologies, to a lot of different types of people, classes, races, creeds, you know, whatever, travel can be very helpful in showing you a different part of the world that you were heretofore unaware of. And, um, and that's definitely been the case for me. It's broadened my perspective about people, about places, and, and I've really appreciated getting to see so much of the United States. And uh, I've been to every state in the continental United States. I haven't made it to Hawaii or Alaska yet, but I'm working on it. And uh, in many parts of Canada, it's it's been wonderful for having your horizons broadened. And so Rambling Man is really about, um, you know, uh, looking back on where you've been and the experiences you've had with that perspective of trying to be aware of more things and more people and um and how transformative that can be. I'm just a rambling man Walking in another man's shoes Pretending that these souls aren't so worn told in the way they bruise that I can't seem to listen anymore I can't seem to listen anymore and I'm still
stories are spoken in the trail In the legacy and gravestones of the dead Of the dead Time has worn its welcome in my world That was Ramblin' Man. This is Bradford Loomis, and that was off uh, Where the Light Ends album. Hey, man, uh, yeah, when you're sitting there talking about uh, being a Ramblin' Man yourself, uh, that was one thing that uh, I really like uh, when you do um, – I don't know if it's if it's like this at every show, but uh, you know, when I saw you last, uh, you, you tell a good story, and uh, that was something I could tell that you were actually having a lot of fun on the road and your family and everything, and uh, I bet you that's pretty neat, isn't it? It really is. Um, we've, we've gotten into this, we've fallen into this pattern, um, that we really value as a family where we take the family out on the road during the summer and it's a great way. Um, well, one, it's wonderful to get my kids back up to Washington to see all the friends that they grew up with. And we, we're generally, we tour around the Pacific Northwest for about a month in the summer and um but before and after on our way there and on our way back we hit the rest of the united states it generally mm-hmm. takes us about two months and um it's been it's been amazing my kids have been to almost every state uh they've got i think louisiana and mississippi we haven't hit which is ironic because those are right by tennessee but um but yeah so we're working on getting them to all the states but it's been wonderful for them to see at a young age, what the United States looks like. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the last year. Um, I know that uh, for a lot of people, it's it's been rough. You kind of mentioned a little bit earlier. But, uh, man, you seem to be one of the artists that uh, that I follow on a regular basis that really nailed the uh, the online experience. And uh, how's that been going for you? I know, does it get old? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know everybody wants to get out and do live shows. So where are you at with that? And, and yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a whole different set of challenges. When you're when you're on the road, you really have a closed experience that you're offering people every night, you know. It, there's no way for people outside of that physical location to experience what you're doing. So it's really easy to um, you know, artists generally focus on on those sets, you know, and and oftentimes that's anywhere between like 8 to 16 songs that you've really kind of honed and refined for this iteration of the tour. And, uh, and you're playing those songs every night, whereas switching to an online model, any person can check in. So you could have mm. the same audience every night that you're doing it. So there, there becomes this, this uh, impetus to keep innovating and keep playing new songs, mix up your set list. So it's definitely, um, a bit more of a challenge to mix things up and you you have to tell stories in a different way for me the live music experience is um 
about music, but more than about music, it's about stories. The music is just an avenue for connecting with people through stories. And, you know, I pride myself as being a songwriter. So all of my songs are about stories. And, um, and in and of that, I have stories about how the song was created. So between songs, I'm telling stories. So it really is this experience that's driven around narrative. It's a lot harder to do that um, in a live uh, streaming session the same way, you know, because you really hone your stories. You can't tell the same stories every night <laughs> uh, to the same audience. They'll stop tuning in. <laughs> so you, you've got to make it a little bit more interactive and uh, maybe play some more covers and ask for requests. And it's a different thing and it's its own set of challenges. Um, I definitely miss the live experience interacting with people in person. Uh, I look forward very much to the time when we can get back to that. Hopefully that's coming soon. Yeah, well, you talk about cover songs, and uh, that's one thing I've noticed uh, through a lot of your shows is uh, really not only, you know, we talked about the range of your voice, but there's also a range in the music you listen to or, or at least like to play. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about kind of where did that all come from? I mean, a lot of times it's uh, maybe a parent or somebody in your life that uh, that introduces you to, I don't know, a plethora of different artists and things, and it seems like maybe that happened to you. Absolutely, Yeah. Definitely. You know, I, I grew up in the 80s. Um, I started to become aware of music a lot more uh, in the late 80s. Um, and so, you know, I, I had parents with very different tastes in music. My mom listened to Kenny Rogers, Barry Manilow, the Bee Gees, ABBA. Um, and on, on the radio was Prince. I loved stuff like Prince. So I had this kind of retro uh, new wave soul thing that I really loved. Um, meanwhile, you know, Neil Diamond, Kenny Rogers, that was my jam because that's what I was ex exposed to. But my dad was really into Led Zeppelin and The Doors. And so when grunge music hit, I, I definitely appreciated the rock-based side. And grunge is a new version of rock at that time. And, um, and so... I mean, right then and there, that's a, that's a ridiculous um, mm -hmm. <laughs> swath of music <laughs> to, to be appreciative of. So I've, I've always loved the challenge of, can you sing this way as well? And so getting into soul music and kind of finding a way to put my stamp on it um, has been really fun. And I grew up in a, in an acapella doo-wop, you know, we, we, when I was in choir in high school, we were in an acapella doo-wop group and we'd go out and perform boys to men and, and that sort of stuff. And I love that type of music as well. So th this is, there's a beautiful challenge in trying to hone your craft as a vocalist in a performative sense. Like, can you sing this type of music in a way that's, that makes sense to the genre, but is also your own stamp on it? And then how can you make this a better experience for the listener? So coupling that performative aspect with bringing people into a story-based environment. And that lends itself really well to Americana music and folk music. So I've kind of developed this, this cross blend of genre I, I call rhythm and roots. So it's mm. got like a soulful R&B vibe to my performance, but the songs are wrapped around stories that are told in Americana and folk 
environments. So it's this weird blend of, of soul and Americana called Rhythm and yeah. Roots. I like that a lot, man. I like I like the uh, the label you put on it too. Um, a lot of times, you know, just a, a simple simple words like that can just really describe exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, let's jump into another tune here. I want to talk about treading water. Yeah, that's another one, man. It's uh, I wrote it with a couple of friends here in Nashville, and uh, and we were talking about a friend of ours had just passed away, yeah. and we were we were trying to like grief is a it's such a weird thing and and up until you know recently the vast majority of americans have been pretty insulated from you know um everyone is going to experience grief at some point in their life but we don't see death in america the way so much of the world does or historically has and so it's really a song about kind of those those steps that those that are grieving that have lost someone have to go through and that process and it, it really is a continuous process it's not something that you know we were kind of playing around with it with the that um that old idiom that time heals all wounds and, it, and really that's not really true mm-hmm. um it it makes the um grief comes in waves and so we liked the idea of kind of of talking about grief in in using aquatic verbiage you know talking about water and waves and and how so much of weathering through grief is treading water and you're you're trying to get through the waves and keep your head above water and um and so you know having gone through collectively what we're still in the midst of but starting to see the light you know in the at the end of the tunnel from with this pandemic um, so many more people um, are going through stages of grief, even if it's not the loss of a loved one, you know, the loss of a job, financial situation, it's grief comes in many forms. And so this, um, that song, I, I feel like addresses grief in a powerful way. And, uh, and so I, I feel very fortunate that we wrote that together and it ended up on the album um, that we released right before the pandemic hit. Side of the bed is getting cold, and the blanket I can't bring myself to fold. It's tangled up, lying on the floor.
Treading Water is the name of the song. This is Bradford Loomis. Where the Light Ends uh, is the album that one's on there. Um, man, that, that was that was deep. And, you know, anytime uh, I've had some people on, and, and I joke because I've, I've told them in the episode and in person, but sometimes people just do a horrible job of explaining their tunes, and I just love the way you put it out there, man. It, it really, I think a lot of times when um, artists can – can get that deep into tunes, uh, into the lyrics and, and be able to describe them in, in, in depth, uh, really brings it out. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I man, it's great. It's great. Uh, it's a great album. I mean, really all of them, uh, you know, going back to, uh, uh, gosh, you know, what 2013, I think was your first album and, um, you know, you've come, come a long ways. Those are, those are great tunes, but your style has kind of, uh, you know, changed over time. Um, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. It doesn't have to do with uh, where you're living, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, I kind of mentioned the ADHD and, and I do think that that's, that's shaped my musical experience because I do tend to, um, there's so much about being an independent artist that is about finding your niche. What's your genre? And, 
Um, and there's a lot of value in that for many, many reasons. It's easier to communicate who you are. It's easier to build an, a fan base when you're sitting in a genre. Um, it's just easier to know who you're reaching out to and how to do so. Um, so when I, I actually walked away from music for about 10 years. And when I wow. came back, um, it was because I discovered uh, a movie called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And out of that, an album called We Shall Overcome the Peter Seeger Sessions uh, by Bruce Springsteen. And it was a, this collection of Americana folklore songs that are so present and prevalent in the movie Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And old folk music. And so I really kind of went down this, this incredible rabbit hole of discovering all these songs that have been such a foundational part of, of music in America that I'd never explored. And so it blew me away. It captivated me. It's so driven on telling stories. And I fell in love with it. And so that first record, Into the Great Unknown, is, is kind of my exploration into it. And that music brought me back to performing. And so that will always be a big part of who I am as a musician. But then you want to kind of push the boundaries and grow. Like, you know, where do I go from here? How do I make this my experience? How do I continually push myself to get better and to explore? And so I've tried to do that with each subsequent record, um, but still keep that foundation of storytelling and um, bringing a new experience to people um, through your songs. And so I've definitely tried to do that through my subsequent records. Yeah, well, I, I'm kind of wondering, as I'm looking, uh, I'm on Spotify right now, and that's just kind of an easy place for people to come and find music right away. I'm on your Bradford Loomis there. And um, as I'm looking at your albums, uh, I, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. I've, I've got that one. He signed it and everything. And, um, man, it was really cool to see you live and, and, and then have you sign an album. Um, I don't know why I just thought of this. Uh, have you? It, do your fans have a way to – get your stuff right now like that? Like, I know they can't see you in person maybe as much. Uh, things are opening up, but uh, can somebody get, like, one of your albums right now? Uh, where would they go? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, if somebody wanted to listen to my music um, and and possibly buy an album, first of all, God bless you. And uh, <laughs> you can do so at uh, bradfordloomis.com. Uh, that's one of the best ways to support independent artists. Well, really, any artist but especially independent artists um, because so many of us are hurting, you know, and, uh, and so the pandemics hit everybody, but artists have lost, you know, 60 to 80% of their income. I know I lost about 75% of mine. And so, yeah, if they want to go to BradfordLumis.com, um, they can see all my albums, all my merchandise there. They can become patrons. Um, and I send out a new song every month that I'm that I'm writing um and uh and I've really tried to I'm, I'm doing a lot with music for film and television and so it's been really fun to kind of explore that space and that's music where you're trying to tell a story but it really is written with a different objective in mind and um and so it's been really fun to kind of see how that takes shape and and changes the songs that come out um and so my patrons get a get a snapshot into that whole process. It's been really fun to explore. 
Oh, that's really cool. All right, well, as you were talking about uh, Into the Great Unknown, your first album, uh, really, it, it, as you were saying that about, uh, you know, the movies and such and, and what you what inspired it, it just really, I was like, oh, of course. Uh, you know, I mean, you even sing Down to the River on there, and uh, uh, yep. which is which is straight out uh, straight out of the movie. And uh, But I wanted to pull out, uh, basically, I don't know, I guess my favorite tune out of that um, was uh, Dead Man's Dance. It's just, oh, man, it's so good. Can you talk about that song? Yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that one was really a pretty powerful song to capture. Um, and it, it's weird. The songwriting process, you know, it's it's something you're writing as an artist. Um, but it, writing a song doesn't really feel like you have much to do with it. You know what I mean? It, songs come from this other place, and it's, you know, However you want to define that as a person, you know, it, it, it has like a very spiritual element to it that is powerful. Um, but songs just kind of have a way of flowing out of you and, and you feel almost like a bystander in the process sometimes. And that song was really powerful in the sense that like it's written about these two letters and the first of which was written by a man named Samuel Porter in 1860 three and um if you know your history that's in the middle of the civil war right after the battle of vicksburg and samuel had been a slave on a mississippi plantation not far from vicksburg and so when the when the battle happened and the union won they pretty much owned the river at that point and so samuel figured um the union hadn't come to 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 free the slaves yet they hadn't come through his his area but he figured if he could if he could at night, make his way to the river that the Union now controlled. Maybe he'd have a chance of getting far north. And so he did, and he was able to do it. And he was able to get um, about um, up to the Ohio area before he found himself in dire circumstances, not sure if he was going to survive. And his motivation was he was trying to find a freed woman. He knew her to be living in New York City. He didn't know where. Um, specifically, all he had was an address. And so he wrote this letter to this address, sent it off, and that's the first half of the song. It's his perspective trying to reach Abigail along, and then the song kind of changes tempo, and it becomes her letter back to him. Um, and it's unclear whether he ever got that letter um, that came back to him. But it's um, it's a powerful song, and um, and I it was just such a challenge to try to put these two perspectives. So we had to change the tempo to kind of create this schism so you can see that it's two different perspectives. And it was really fun to see the way that it turned out. Oh, my love, when my days are done And my bones have been put to rest my graving stone has found its home. May you not be bereft. Don't waste your prayers on a wretch like me. My heart's been given to one. 
No. All the things I've done since the war begun, I could never be free. That's Dead Man's Dance off of uh, Into the Great Unknown album. This is Bradford Loomis. And, uh, yeah, man, that that's just a great song uh, all together, everything about it. And, uh, uh, you know, it uh, it it really it, it makes me, yeah, I, I, we already talked about just kind of the way you've changed. Uh, not changed. I mean, you know, no, I don't want to say it like that, but uh, uh, just kind of uh, grown uh, musically into different areas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to find the right words, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man. Um, so talk about the atmosphere down where you're living now, uh, musically. Oh, man. Um, you know, it, it's a powerful thing where you are in the environment you find yourself. 
when I came back to music living in the Seattle area, we were living in Snohomish, and um, I talked with a couple of music industry people. Um, there's there's not a lot of music music industry people that are not club owners mm. um, or uh, booking agents up in Seattle in that area. There's a few record labels, but they're very specific genre-wise. And they don't lend themselves to my genre or the music that I like doing very well. So I kept talking to people and they, they would, um, they would tell me, what are you doing in Seattle? You need to be in LA. If you're going to play this type of music, you need to be in LA or Nashville. Um, and I kept hearing that, but I, I'd all I'd lived all my life in the Pacific Northwest and it's all I really knew. And so, you know, we did it for about five, six years. And uh, my wife and I, um, I always say we, and my wife doesn't go on tour with me. She's not a musician, but you can't do this with a family without great spousal support. And yeah. she definitely has been that for me. So even though I perform by myself, I take my family on the road. She helps with a lot of things and uh, not the least of which is just being a great sports system. And so we, um, we make decisions together and it just got to the point where we're like, what are we, what, what information, what lesson are we sending to our kids if I don't take this shot? And so we, we moved down here and we picked Nashville. A, it's cheaper than LA, but it's, it's really <laughs> a family environment. And the, the whole Southern hospitality thing is real. If you've never experienced it, it's a real thing. And, you know, every place has their problem, right? It's, so there, there are problems down here for sure. Just, they're different than the problems that were up in the Pacific Northwest. Some are similar, but it's, um, you know, every place has problems and it's challenges, but there's so many musicians here. So many people that understand our way of life, you know, in the before times, <laughs> I would, I would spend my days riding with other artists, going out to coffee, having breakfast with people who don't have re quote unquote real jobs. And we would work on music industry stuff together. It's so collaborative down here. It's incredible. It, the amount of community and support system we found has been awesome. And living in the Pacific Northwest, I was the only person I, I knew that was free during the days and not on the weekend. You know, it's, it's a challenge. That's It's so different than most people's lives that it feels isolating. And so it, it's been very different moving down here to an area that understands this industry and the way of life that you have to live to make a run at it. So it's been, it's been pretty powerful coming down here. Yeah. No, that's great, man. Yeah. It's good to have not only that, uh, the awesome family support, but yeah, I mean, that's a big difference ha having that, that music industry that, uh, supports exactly what you're doing. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into across the divide. Yeah. Um, so I wrote that song with a buddy in LA who, who did a lot of the mandolin um, slide guitar um, banjo stuff on into the great unknown. He's one of those dudes that can play anything. And uh, he's actually written a lot with like the fray Ariana Grande. He produced the backstreet boys record, which is kind of funny. It doesn't seem like a guy that's with his pedigree would be playing mandolin and dobro and <laughs> banjo, but he could play anything. So I came to LA and um, had a chance to, to write with him. And he's like, yeah, I got about six hours. 
uh, so come by the studio and we'll see if we can get something in. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, so we came in. He, he brings me into this like enormous house um, through the pool area, like downtown LA, right, right down Hollywood <laughs> Boulevard. And um, and so uh, I walk in and there are gold records and Grammys everywhere. And he's like, yeah, let's hop in the studio and see if we can write something real quick. And I'm like, oh, cool, no pressure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, it was pretty fun, you know. I'd I'd had a an interesting little song idea that I wrote driving through the hills outside of Ellensburg on my way to Yakima, going up that big old hill, just kind of looking back at what we'd been through, and um, and the challenges of making that leap to leaving the quote unquote normal lifestyle, becoming a musician and turning your back on, on a lot of things that are safe and taking a big risk. And so that song is really about weathering through challenges. And, um, and sometimes you're going to find yourself in places you didn't expect, um, but there can be amazing benefits from taking risks and, and making leaps. And uh, I was really pleased that song just kind of, by the end of six hours, we had a great song and I felt, I felt really pleased with how it turned out and, that kind of started me, you know, that song kind of changed the direction for me of going a bit more of that mainstream, you know, I, I don't even, it, it started leading to rhythm and roots. I, I can't call it country. It's not really country, but it, there's some level of affectation, you know, the banjo, the mandolin in a, in a more modern pop style. Uh, that's really interesting. And so I felt like that was a great step towards what's ended up being rhythm and roots music. I can see the valley. I can see the road we used to climb. I can see the mountains leering on the other side. And on and on and on and on it goes. I can hear the echo I can hear the song we used to sing I can feel the distance Living in the in-between And on and on and on and on it goes And on and on and on and on it goes
Across the Divide is the name of that song. This is uh, Bradford Loomis, and that's off the uh, Bravery and the Bell album. Uh, yeah, man, that uh, it's all good stuff. And and earlier, I feel bad. You know, here here I was uh, introducing you, and we were talking about the fact that you you know you you're a great guitarist and and talking about the range of your voice, but um, the overall package really is in the songwriting as well. Um, I'd really like to uh, not pick out any songs particular. Uh, because we've already kind of gone through the ones uh, that we were going to play today. But I wanted to maybe kind of just pick your brain a little bit on other songs that you've written. Um, what is your writing style if you're doing it on your own? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the things I've learned coming to this town is there isn't one way to do it. I mean, I knew that before, <laughs> but writing with other people, you really get that. Um, brought into focus in a, in a really dynamic way because you can write a song on Tuesday and then Wednesday it's a completely different experience. Some people like writing while they're recording. And that's how we did Across the Divide. We recorded that. We He pulled up a Pro Tools session. We, we, I played him the, the, the little tape that I'd sang. And there's no instrumentation. He's just listening to it. So he came up with a chord progression real quick track that we put drums to it real fast so you can do it that way and sometimes it's you've written all the music before you even get to words sometimes um you know i've I've got a song coming out in the new matt damon movie that i wrote completely in the car i had it completely written before i ever touched an instrument i was driving from nashville up to washington and i wrote it on that road trip and um just my voice and a steering wheel and uh, so it can be really different um, how you write it from one song to the next. And the what inspires you to write that can change. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I'm kind of curious about your uh, uh, your voice inflection uh, when you're singing. Are there certain words that you pick out sometimes? You're like, I need to replace that because, man, some of you, some of the words, and it's probably just because you're, you're you just have an amazing voice. So the the, the answer is stupid anyway. But I mean, the the question I meant uh, is stupid because uh, it's like, man, are there words where you're just like, oh, I want to replace this word because I like singing this word better? Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, how how geeky about this do you want to get? Ah, well, it's something I kind of <laughs> listened to, like like we were talking about, uh, you know, that first album. Uh, I kind of heard it like like just in Dead Man's Dance and that kind of thing. Like, I felt like, man, I felt like maybe there's some words that you pulled out that was like, ah, I want to I want to say this word instead. Yeah, well, I I really got into Walt Whitman um, mm-hmm. for a while, and you know, one of the greatest poets, um, certainly one of the greatest American poets, and. Um, you know, he, he's alive during the Civil War. So that's a pretty antiquated verbiage, you know, that he's using. Um, that's some of which is still relevant today, but we don't we don't speak that way. It, it's like saying antiquated verbiage in a radio interview. Um, <laughs> it's it's just kind of a, a funny thing. You You have to contextualize in a way. You have to thread this needle of like using descriptive words that are interesting and thought provoking, but not being so uh, verbose or like um, using words that people don't ever say, you know what I mean? Um, so you've got to make it approachable, but also descriptive. So you have to kind of thread that needle. But in terms of like being a vocalist, 
anything with vowels, playing with the lines between vowels and consonants, um, there are definite words that do not sing well. Things mm-hmm. that end in an E. That's why they, they never say me. You know, they say meh. Um, it's going to be meh, you know, when, you, when you've got that Justin Timberlake song. Um, or I guess that was in sync. Uh, or baby. They don't say baby. They say baby. Um, you uh, know, you've got to kind of open vowels to, to sound more pleasant uh, when you're holding them. And um, if you want to get really geeky, diphthongs. There's a whenever you have two vowel sounds that flow from one vowel sound to another without a consonant breaking them up, those sing the best. So I love W words because W is uh, it activates diphthong. Uh, so there's there's a lot of like <laughs> oh, wow. there's a lot of st- strategic thought into which words you're using uh, that can really make or break songs. Um, and I love that challenge. Yeah, well, and and of course, you know, you say that now. Now I find uh, I'm looking through your song list, and I'm like, oh, wind and woe. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, uh, BradfordLumis.com. That's right. Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, well, uh, you know, listeners certainly go over there. And uh, man, I just really appreciate the time. It's been fun talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our Pacific Northwest music. Hope you enjoyed it. Check us out next week. Thanks so much to our friends Jack Mattingly and the Whiskey Fever. That was the track you heard at the start. And here it is again. Wouldn't want to miss this off the album Oceans of Trouble. Go check it out. They're from Cedro Wood. Ooh, you wouldn't want to miss this.